0: This whole value-based thing has a huge market-specific context to it that I don't think is talked about enough.
1: Pop Health Week is brought to you by Health Innovation Media. Health Innovation Media brings your brand narrative alive via original or value-added digitally curated content for omni-channel distribution and engagement. Connect with us at www.popupstudio.productions. And welcome everyone. I'm Greg Masters, managing director of Health Innovation Media, the producer and co-host of Pop Health Week. Joining me in the virtual studio is my partner, colleague and lead co-host Fred Goldstein, president of Accountable Health LLC. On today's show, our guests are David Carmouche, MD, president of the Oxner Health Network and executive vice president of Value-based care and network operations for Oxner Health and Josh M. Berlin, J.D., Chief Executive Officer of Rule of Three LLC, a strategic healthcare advisory firm. A seasoned executive, Dr. Carmouche brings more than twenty-five years of experience in healthcare, including the delivery of care and leadership of innovative healthcare organizations across Louisiana's healthcare landscape. Oxner Health. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Louisiana, and the Baton Rouge Clinic. He is a recognized visionary leader in the arenas of healthcare delivery, population health, and payer systems with a keen focus on both patient care and outcome metrics. He currently serves as board president for the Consortium for Southeastern Healthcare Quality, a Regional Quality Improvement and Practice Transformation Collaborative. Josh brings more than 20 years of experience, most of which has been in healthcare advisory and consulting to his clients. Most recently, he has served as principal and co-practice leader of Citron Cooperman's healthcare practice and managing partner for IBM Watson Health Strategic Advisory Practice, leading a unique group of consultants in each instance to serve clients across the full healthcare ecosystem. Including providers, payers, employers, governments, and advocacy. So Fred, with that introduction over to you. Help us catch up with doctor Carmouche and Josh's innovations at Oxner Health. Thanks so much, Greg. And David and Josh, welcome to Pop Health Week.
0: Fred, it's great to see you again. It's been too long. Thanks for having me on today. Always good to be with you, Fred, and always
2: good to hang out with David for a little while.
3: Yeah, it really is a pleasure to get you both back on. And as you said, David, it certainly has been much too long, but great to see you again and glad you're doing well. Why don't we start, David, give us a little bit of your background introduction to your work.
0: Sure. So I'm uh, I'm an internist uh, by training. Was in practice for 15 years in Baton Rouge in preventive cardiology, and and went to uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, right after the Affordable Care Act was passed as their chief medical officer and executive vice president. Uh, and then I've been at Ochsner Health in New Orleans for the last six years as the executive vice president over value based care and our network operations, as well as our employer work, uh, and get to lead uh, the Ochsner Health network and our ACO and really have uh, gotten to work with Josh uh, through that work uh, at auctioner. So it's uh, great to join him uh, on the podcast today. And you, Josh?
2: Thanks, Fred, uh, and thanks, David, for the nice compliments. Uh, I have been in healthcare my entire career. Uh, I started in law, uh, but quickly realized that was bad for the soul and moved over to management consulting, probably one rung higher on the ladder. Uh, but after all of these years of working across government organizations at all level, providers of all types and sizes, plans, employers trying to make a meaningful difference in their employee lives, advocacy organizations and startups decided about a year and a half ago, two great friends and, and business partners that it was time to put uh, my money where my mouth was and with the support of auctioner and a number of other organizations just to start my own firm. Rule of three. And since we have built an incredibly diverse portfolio of exciting clients that are trying to make a meaningful change in, in healthcare, and we support them on their strategy and operations work.
3: That's fantastic. And obviously, the, the work you're doing, and, and David, you mentioned it this value based care. Everybody's talking value based care. Give us a sense from your perspective of where it is nationally. What's going on with that? Are we making any progress?
0: I think we are making progress. Uh, I think it's led at the federal level today. Uh, I think CMS through CMMI uh, clearly have laid down the marker. Uh, I think the economics of, of of the Medicare trust fund, I think the aging demographics of, of the United States, the baby, baby boomers, you know, kind of mandate uh, some different way of, of rewarding providers and, and aligning those rewards with uh, you know total cost of care management and, and health outcomes. So, I think I think that's that's the lead uh, story, and I, I think that's that train is has, has left the station. I think the commercial side is uh, is slower for a variety of reasons. Probably the most pressing of which are the fact that uh, broad PPO networks are still the predominant structure on which at least the insurance companies face up to the market, and those are not really conducive uh, environments to, to to really transfer risk to providers. I think the place where I, I, I'm, I'm starting to see more a- action, and I think I'm, I'm, I'm kind of heartened by it, is the large employers, I think, have had enough. I think they're pointing fingers at all of the traditional players and say, you guys haven't done a good job of helping us control our costs. They're going up 5 7% every year, and we're going to take a more active role. And we, you know, we could, there's endless numbers of, of examples we can get into it. So I think with employers being awoken, uh, and with the federal government, I think value is, is here to stay and, and, and will likely continue to accelerate in the future. I don't know, Josh, how you see it, but that's how I see it.
2: Yeah, pretty similarly. I mean, I, several years ago, maybe 10 years or so ago, if you had asked me if the uh, if the government was going to lead the way in value, um, I, I would have definitely not uh, not predicted that, only because we were already seeing a significant move towards value in clinically integrated network success and uh, around the country contemplating different contracting strategies. But then in turn, what's happened in both the wake of the Accountable Care Act and generally the, what CMMI has done through a couple of of leaders who have been fantastic is uh, effectively say in the wake of um, a real rooting in volume still today, we're going to at least begin to create experimentations and models that, uh, it, that show that this can be done and can be done successfully. And the Medicare population provides a right proving ground for that. Um, now, that said, a number of organizations, as David highlighted a minute ago, a number of organizations have begun to demonstrate very successfully with the commercial side of the world. But now the game is changing again, I would argue, particularly with the advent of private equity money that continues to get infused into different models of care that really don't have a rooting in either volume or value, but maybe a blend of both. And the opportunity to keep up with the pace of spend in healthcare alone certainly is continuing to evolve and progress the value landscape. But we're more, more progress today than we were before.
3: Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I'm going to say this as a friend, having run a psych hospital in northern Louisiana up in Shreveport years ago. Louisiana is not really thought of as a place where you're going to see innovation, yet Oxner has been able to show some amazing things. You sort of mentioned, it, David, you've got this pretty big network. You've got a successful ACO, as I understand, successful primary care. You're doing pop health and you're direct contracting. What, what's allowing you to be able to do that? What's different?
0: Yeah, well, I think it starts with a really strong CEO and board vision of value-based care being the right way to do it. I, I think we're we're stuck a little bit in fee-for-service world by virtue of being an academic medical center and having a lot of you know tertiary and ordinary care uh, capabilities that we really bring to the Gulf South. But I think if they were, it, you know, if they had their way, um, you know, I think they think you know capitation prepayment. Uh, for healthcare services is, is the right way to align the health system with the needs of consumers. So I think there's a belief that that's the right thing. The second is Auctioner had a health plan. It sold it in the early 2000s to Humana, but has maintained full capitation in Medicare Advantage uh, since that time. We're getting back into the health plan business in, in 2022 in the MA space. So there's a, there's a muscle memory. There's there's a familiarity with risk. Uh, and then thirdly, I think at least for auctioner. The reality of it is, is that the economics in Medicare fee-for-service don't work for our system. We don't make a margin really in the hospital or in the clinic at Medicare fee-for-service rates. So frankly, anything we can do to create an effective reimbursement that is north of the Medicare fee-for-service rates is, is, is a good thing. And so the way we've we've kind of tried to simplify that is to say that, look, almost any Medicare patient that shows up in one of our hospitals should be, you know, is essentially a cost item, not a revenue generating item. Uh, and, and that we should be aligned across specialists and primary care doctors at doing what we can to keep people out of our of our facilities. And we've got the ability to load level facilities or repurpose beds. If we ever had a problem, if we were ever concerned that we were going to uh, empty our hospitals, uh, I think we could deal with that. That's just not ever been the reality. And then the last thing you mentioned, Louisiana is not where you would think of, of innovation. But if you think of, you know, some of the innovation that's come out of parts of the world like India where there's large populations of impoverished people, right? That's the That, that can be a hotbed of, of, of innovation by necessity. And so, you know, we're 49 or 50, depending on the year you look at the state health rankings. And I think Ochsner, uh, by virtue of that and by virtue of the market with a dominant blue, um, with not the most attractive fee-for-service commercial rates uh, in, the, in the country, and with an aging uh, uh, population without commercial growth, really a state that's really just aging in the Medicare, the payer mix change, you know, uh, and the health of our state really creates the construct whereby oxter has to be innovative to be successful and to eke out a two and a half to three percent operating margin despite those headwinds year after year, I think, is, is testament uh, to our to our ability to invest in and, and see that as part of our future. So I'm really bullish on doing this in Louisiana, that frankly, I've had opportunities to leave Louisiana. It's such a, a target-rich environment to do Pop Health. It's almost a masterclass in it, and, and it's been really gratifying to spend my entire career here.
2: Yeah, I'd add to that what's interesting about and has always been interesting about Auctioner to me, and I love being able to come back for more all the time, the organization has certainly been great to me over the years that I've served it. But when you look at Auctioner's founding in the mid 40s, I don't remember exactly the year I, when Alton Auctioner founded the Auctioner Clinic. It was one of the first clinic organizations, hospitals to focus in on population health in the way that it did with a rooting in the one of the early linkages to from smoking and tobacco to cancer. That's a population health orientation. So now you look at all of these years later and what success Ochsner has had and has experienced. And in particular, the recent doubling down that the Ochsner leadership team has made with the state and with others around health equity, the advancing of the state from where it currently sits in the nation as one of the the bottom two in the country relative to health outcomes to at least being 40 over the course of the next handful of years. It's a continued journey that I, I would certainly suggest began with auctioners founding that helps to contribute to its success.
3: Yeah, I think you raised some really good points regarding how they started the the whole service up with the five physicians in the beginning, et cetera, mm-hmm. and, then, and then grew that out, their thinking. It's also... Interesting. You talk about, you know, Louisiana and its status. And I always say in Mississippi or Louisiana or some of these states, if you can do it there, you can do it anywhere. As you said, it's a target rich environment. And I certainly enjoyed in my past working in Mississippi, some in population health. It sounds to me, David, like Oxnard would go quicker if the market would allow them to go quicker into these more value-based, and you even mentioned full capitation contracts. But to do that, you have to effectively be able to manage populations. So what have you put in as infrastructure, as
1: systems to do that? And if you're just tuning in to Pop Health Week, our guests are David Kermush, M.D., President of the Oxner Health Network and Executive Vice President of Value-Based Care and Network Operations for Oxner Health, and Josh Berlin, J.D., Chief Executive Officer of Rule of Three, LLC, a strategic healthcare advisory firm.
0: So it's interesting. We had uh, we had Jeff Melt uh, address our board a couple of years ago at a board retreat. You know, he made a comment in, a, in an hour-long presentation that an organization's ability to participate in and succeed in risk is directly related and proportional to its investment in uh, data and analytics, in his mind, and I think I think it, it really starts there for auctioner and, and it starts with Epic, which is our enterprise EMR system that we've actually extended into the community. And, and I'd say two thirds of the providers in our network are on a single instance of Epic that connects all of our urgent care facilities, most of our primary care facilities, all of our hospitals. And so just, you know, that, that clinical data environment is really sound at auctioner. We've also configured all of the clinical decision support tools and coding prompts and, um, and registries to support population health that Epic allows. And uh, so I think we've taken full advantage of that. We've also uh, made investments in claims, uh, data analysis and and, and use Milliman's MedInsight tool for that and have, a, I think, 13 different payer claims files that we've aggregated into a multi-payer claims data set that allows us to, to look across contracts at opportunities and programmatically go after it versus going after, you know, one contract at a time so that we can kind of find the common denominators of opportunity across those contracts. I think the next iteration of that for us is marrying those clinical data sets and those claims data sets with Emerging data, uh, publicly available or purchased, social determinants data, for example, and really creating better predictive models, better patient segmentation models to really focus in our intervention, uh, probably increasingly outside of the office, outside of the hospital, more at the home level um, uh, care models that'll take us to the next level. So I think there's a, but there's been a pretty significant commitment. Uh, to make those data uh, investments, the next are a set of people, frankly, that are just you know incredible. These are uh, outpatient case managers. These are clinical care coordinators that are you know involved in primary care and doing pre-visit planning and proactive outreach and uh, and prioritizing patients who haven't seen us uh, in six months and who have an A1C that's out of control and making sure that they get. Back in uh, to our call center, uh, nurse triage, twenty four seven call centers that our patients, you know, you know, have an outlet for clinical information and, and don't just show up in the emergency room, you know, and others, uh, you know, nurse practitioners that go into the home to see a patient who's been discharged from the hospital and who's at high risk of readmission. You know, it takes an army of people to surround our clinicians to really drive pop health. And oxford has been willing to make those investments. Uh, I think we've done a good job of showing that when we get those investments, we turn it into success. You mentioned our ACO has has generated significant savings year over year in the last several years. And and we're, and we're making, you know, a significant margin at our our Medicare Advantage business uh, where it's capitated. So uh, it takes a lot. And uh, you certainly don't just wake up one day and decide you want to manage risk. They call it risk for a reason. Uh, And uh, I'll just say, it's interesting, you know, Everybody seems to be hot on MA and wants to get into Medicare Advantage and willing to maybe think about taking capitation. Well, we had our first $8 million claim for a patient that's in our capitation pool. You know, it doesn't take too long for a 75-year-old with acquired hemophilia to have a fall and, and internal bleeding to, uh, to create uh, some challenges. So you're right, it is risk. Uh, and, and by virtue of that, you know, we're, we're anxious to take more risk so that the population is larger to create some actuarial uh, security. Uh, and so we have about 100,000 Medicare lives with with substantial risk today. And I think we'd like to grow more of our commercial business that way over time.
3: Anything, Josh, you'd, think you'd like to add to that?
2: David touched on a couple of things that I think are at least worth emphasizing further. Um, certainly the technology advancements that they've made uh, and continue to think about. Um, are critical, the opportunity to continue to understand how to leverage those to enable what its strategic imperatives are as an organization, serve the community more significantly. All those are great, but I, don't, I wouldn't want to discount at all the notion that having, the, uh, having a, a multi-asset play, whether uh, hard assets in facilities to the ability to deliver the care that's needed and meet the patient where they are in the home setting or the ambulatory setting, um, or for that matter, to be able to leverage the tools to be able to understand what their particular situation is with a, with a patient. auctioner continues to advance and is now sharing that success nationally with the recent news that their digital tools, uh, particularly around remote patient monitoring, they're taking into health plans and employers around the country, uh, particularly with an eye towards multi-chronic conditions longer term. So not only have they Worked inward and have all of the people, process, and technology to be able to develop the foundation necessary to care for their communities, but now sharing those experiences beyond into other communities that are either underserved or still, regardless, need that level of care delivery and excellence, I think continues to be hallmarks of the success that they'll, they they experience.
3: Right. Now, I, I want to get in a little bit to the primary care piece of this, but first, mm-hmm. David, years ago, you told me, and I thought it was innovative as heck. I want to figure out how to make population health a revenue line item on the, on on our budgets. And outside of say CCM codes and that kind of stuff, have you been able to sort of transform the thinking that way?
0: Yeah, I think, I think we have. Um, I think my role today on the executive team is a testament to, to our CEO recognizing that this is a, a business that is potentially equally as important in the future to Ochsner as our historical kind of care delivery business. And so we've We've actually organized our, our, our business into really three verticals. One is kind of traditional care delivery. It's really our hospitals and clinics. Um, the, the, the business I lead is our risk and insurance business, and it has a PL uh, to it. We'll come back to that in a second, which I think is really important. And then the third is our digital or kind of virtual business that Josh alluded to that we're both using internally as a care management tool and externally as a revenue generator uh, and a diversification play. I think for many organizations and for Auctioner, the challenge to asking for all those resources, whether those were data resources or people resources, were being able to answer, and what do I get for it? Right. I think the the failure of many pop health programs has been to define um, what an expected return on those investments could look like and, and create an expectation that you're willing to hold yourself accountable to. So, we've created a PL uh, for our value business that in the revenue line puts all of our care management fees, our insurance product uh, performance. We have some JVs uh, with some of the carriers. And so, to the degree that those are making or, or, or losing money, those count. Our shared savings, our capitation performance, and a variety of other things are in the top you know, line. And then under it are all the expenses my team, the analytics. And, and, you know, and then you can you can see a margin and you can see that and set, you know, kind of parameters and expectations for growth in that business over time. I think being willing to do that and having the finance team see that you're willing to take that sort of accountability has really empowered the organization and enabled it to make the investments that I mentioned. And so I I think it's it's not really spoken about a lot. And I'm glad you, you know, you remembered it. It was a vexing problem for me in the early days at, at Oxford. I think, you know, we've mostly fixed that. Uh, and certainly um I think it's 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 freed up our team uh to frankly uh to to be held at this at the same level of regard as the as the traditional healthcare delivery system because you know we have an operating review every every month. Uh, we're no different than the care delivery uh, assets in terms of how we're held accountable. And I think that has raised the uh kind of importance level uh of of the pop health team uh, within Oxter.
3: Yeah, you're being measured for your outcomes both
0: operationally and financially, I assume based on what you said. Yeah, and I think you know and, and then I think the next and Josh has been part of this work. I think, you know, our efforts in pop health have largely been focused on the Oxter clinic. Yes, we have a network, but really Oxter's clinic has 1600 employed physicians and 250 primary care physicians and so we had a lot of work to just build the team to support that organization. I think now that we've done that, um, we've tried to extend that, those capabilities out to support more of the community physicians that are in the network. And again, there has to be a a financially viable reason for Oxford to front those investments and bring them to community physicians. And so, you know, uh, the way we work at at Oxford is that 50% of the revenue generated by the network gets retained by Oxford to, to defray its, It's uh, expenses. Well, for me and my team now, the the challenge is, can you create enough revenue so that 50% of it is more than the investment we've had to put into it? So can you create a positive margin? And I think it makes our teams constantly look at efficiency and effectiveness. And are we building programs that actually work? And if we're not, let's retool them. Uh, And without that financial kind of transparency and accountability, you just don't manage it uh, with the discipline that's required. And so uh, I I think uh, we on the value side need to embrace uh, that if that's the new business of healthcare, then we're going to have the same accountability as, as the older uh, legacy business.
3: And and Josh, from a, from your perspective, having worked in this, what did you see as, as keys to sort of allow for people to recognize the transformation and the need to do this? Obviously you've got a big network of physicians that David has, et cetera. How do you do that?
2: Yeah. I, David and I talk a lot about the notion of how to drive value success and at a minimum, you need to have as requisite components of that a primary care engine with the surrounding services that allow those primary care physicians and the patients that they represent and serve to be able to be successful, to be able to understand how to address the needs of a very complex population. Without those sort, without those pieces altogether, it becomes really challenging to be successful in an environment in the way that David was describing a minute ago. But clearly the holy grail today has to be rooted in primary care. I mean, there's there's not even a question, I don't think anymore in healthcare, uh, the value that a primary care physician brings to healthcare. If there was, certainly I'd like to think that the National Academy study that came out last month or maybe a month before, um, describing that every pri- every every uh, uh, person in the country needs a primary care physician. Uh, there's no better way to describe the importance that a primary care physician serves because it becomes the connector for so much. Now, does that primary care physician need to interact person-to-person, eyeball-to-eyeball with the patient in particular? No, not necessarily. That can come through an APP or a nurse practitioner. There are ways to create an ecosystem surrounding the, the primary care capability that you need in order to be successful, but the reasons why you see, as I referenced earlier on, private equity infusion into primary care, the reason why you see systems like Ochsner uh, numbering more and more that are thinking about primary care success as the anchor to value and the surrounding population health services because of how underpinning it is to our ability to be a healthier country, for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: And Uh, uh, Josh, uh, Fred, let me just add one thing that I think Josh prompted that I think is really, really important. There's been a lot of debate, especially in the ACO world around whether hospital affiliated ACOs are at a disadvantage or can be successful versus uh, independent primary care led ACO. And certainly the early successes favored the primary care group. I will say that there was a point in time at Oxford in the last three or four years where I... I, I did call the question, which was, what is the job of primary care at auctioner? Um, there, there were a couple schools of thought, right? I think we, you know, three quarters of the employed physicians at auctioner are subspecialists. There were some, subspecial, uh, some primary care physicians and maybe even some leaders in primary care who believed that their historical importance to the health system was an access point the front door the front, political front door to the organization that fed specialists you know that they were that that was their job was to you know to kind of create patient relationships and steer them downstream and then in, in the world that I come from you know what I needed primary care to do is take on more of the management of, of these patients be more discerning around downstream referrals um, raise the profile of primary care and change the compensation model to reward them for being population health managers more than transactional fee for service, you know, access points. And, and I think, um, you know, it became very clear that, that you can't send both messages to primary care doctors and ask them to perform well. And I think in organizations where they haven't really put that stake in the ground and defined the role of primary care, you see the challenges of of, of value-based care performance. I think at Oxford we've been very clear and that we've told our primary care doctors, your job is to develop tight, trusting relationships and to manage the total cost of care. That is job one, two, three, four, and five. There is no requirement that you send X number of patients downstream to a cardiologist or orthopedist. And we've changed their, the way we pay them to support that. I think organizations need to make it very clear to primary care what their job is. And if that job is value, I think that we are an example to show that even a hospital owned group of primary care physicians can be incredibly successful uh, at value based care.
2: Yeah. And by the way, the organizations that don't think like that run the risk of being disintermediated. I mean, there's not a doubt a question in my mind. If you're not going to think about that, you're not going to embrace that type of, of thinking. And I, I don't think there's any better example of what than what just happened in South Florida with Canoe Health now investing a billion dollars in the last 30 days to build what is now probably the, the strongest independent primary care practice in the country.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, as you you mentioned earlier, David, it gets back to that leadership saying, we're going to do this, we're going to support this, and if the hospital or the healthcare system itself leads from the top with that, then that primary care model will work within it, unlike what we may have seen very early on in the ACOs, where just it appeared that many more of the primary care-driven models were working versus Mm -hmm. the healthcare system models. So I'd like to thank both of you for joining us. It's really been a pleasure, David and Josh. And back
1: to you, Greg. And thank you Fred that is the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank Dr. David Carmouche, President of the Oxner Health Network and Executive Vice President of Value-Based Care and Network Operations for Oxner Health and Josh M. Berlin, JD, Chief Executive Officer of Rule of 3 LLC, a strategic Healthcare advisory firm for their time and insights today. For more information on Oxner Health, go to www.oxner. That's O C H S N E R. dot o r g or follow on Twitter via at Carmouche M D. That's C A R M O U C H E M D and Oxner Health, respectively. To contact Josh at Rule of Three LLC, go to www.ro3llc.com. And finally, if you're enjoying our work here at Pop Health Week, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast platform of your choice and do follow us on Twitter via at Pop Health Week. Bye now.